Well, a little Led Zeppelin with some Moby Dick, some showdown. We're talking this morning about Moby Dick. And if you remember reading it for the first time, maybe that's not a great memory from high school or college when you were assigned to read Moby Dick. But you knew as you were reading it or saw a movie about it that there was a showdown coming. And that showdown was between Captain Ahab and his nemesis, Moby Dick. And while you're reading it, if you remember reading it, the whole time you're thinking, Stop! Stop! You're going to kill yourself! You're putting everybody in danger! Or maybe you got a little self-righteous as you read it, like I did, and went, I would never do that. I would never chase down a whale. I would never want that kind of vengeance. I would never lose control like that. I would never put so many people's lives in danger. But as I've been reflecting on this message for the last few months, and this book for the last few months, I started to reflect on all the people I've been angry at, ticked off at, or wanted revenge for. And I would say that anger and vengeance is not even my top five list of vices. So I was tempted to think I don't struggle with this that much. Until I took the time to think about it. (laughs) Remind me of a best friend, one of my best friends growing up. He and I just hung out together. We had fun together. He's a pastor now. But at the time, we were just best of friends, and I finally got up the nerve as a high school student to say, hey, I'm thinking about asking out this girl we both knew named Michelle. I said, yeah, I'm thinking about doing it maybe in two weeks. I've almost got sort of worked out the mental gymnastics to ask her out. And, and he says, all right. So the next weekend, I call him up. Hey, Matt, you want to do anything? Sorry, I'm busy Friday night. <laughs> huh. Catch up to him on Monday. What'd you do this weekend? I asked Michelle out. I said, I didn't even think you liked her. Classic teenage guy. I didn't. But you went out with the girl I said I was going to ask out? Yeah. Why did you ask her out? To see if I could. (laughs) I wanted revenge. My last job, as I've alluded to before, the senior pastor and I did not get along real well, but we worked really hard to try and figure out how to get along. Ultimately, we came to that moment where we decided to part ways... And we're going to do it in a way that didn't, you know, bring our grievances against each other out in the public, which is a good, gracious, you know, kind thing to do. So we agreed at the end of the conversation. I had about three months of transition. At the same time, uh, I was not going to say anything about the concerns I had about what was going on. We made this agreement. And then the next day he comes back and says, actually, we've decided that you're done now. And he had a meeting the next day with like 20 pastors of all the contemporary churches within 100 miles of my home. And I owned two homes at the time because I I bought some rental property. So I had two homes, every contemporary church within 100 miles. And he came to that event and said, hey, how are things going with you and Chad? Chad is trying to split the church, he said. And all of a sudden, I had no place where I was employable within 100 miles I thought about that. I ruminated on that. I thought how unjust that was, how unfair that was. I was bending over backwards to be gracious, considering what turned out to be true of my thoughts, what was going to happen. It did happen and was happening. And despite my graciousness, I was being stabbed in the back. And it took me months to get over my need for revenge. And what we find in the Bibles, what we find in 
in Moby Dick is there's this theme of the need in all of us to take revenge because we live in a world with injustice. And if you live long enough, you're going to see enough injustice. You can't just say, well, I think it's all going to work out. You're going to come face to face with people who treat you poorly and do bad things to you. And you're going to be tempted to take that harpoon and take them down. And that's what revenge is. Revenge is the harpoon you throw to take them down, but it ends up strapping you down. And that's what Moby Dick begins to show us through the book. Three characters, each of which increasingly make me feel a little bit more convicted of what I'm struggling with or didn't realize I was struggling with. But as we look at how the Bible and this book compare one another, we're not just going to see, well, revenge is unhealthy, duh. We're going to see, what do you do about it? How do you let go of it? How do you get through it? And it begins with Moby Dick, our first character. We all have a Moby Dick in our life, and that's, in general, yeah, there's injustices, people have treated me poorly, yeah, 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 yeah. But I can't let that whale get away. Because people do mean things or inappropriate things all the time. But every once in a while, there's that whale that gets in your craw. And for whatever reason, you can't let go of that thing, that someone, that circumstance. When he was writing in the early chapters of Moby Dick, we get to see how this particular whale, of all the whales he's hunted, have got down in, in his craw. Who told thee that? cried Ahab. Then pausing. I Starbuckai. My hearties all around, it was Moby Dick that dismasted me. Moby Dick that brought me to this dead stump I stand on now. Aye, aye, he shouted with a terrific loud animal sob, like that of a heart-stricken moose. Aye, aye, it was that accursed white whale that raised me, made a poor pegging lubber of me forever and a day. And tossing both his arms with measureless imprecations, he shouted out, Aye, aye. And I will chase him around Good Hope and around the Horn and around Norway Maelstrom and around Perdition's Flames before I give up on him. And this is what you have shipped for, men, to chase that white whale on both sides of land, all over sides of earth, till he spouts black blood and rolls fin out. What say ye, men? Will we splice hands on it now? I think ye do look brave. And this particular whale... He said, I will go to the ends of the earth to make that whale pay. Who's the whale? What's the whale circumstance that's stuck and you can't stop thinking about it? Maybe it's an ex-spouse and what they did to you was so unforgivable, so unjust, and you would tell your story and we would weep over it. And we would get mad with you over it. And you're like, it's not like I'm exaggerating. It's really that bad. And that's the whale. Maybe it's a child that broke your heart. You poured, you invested, you prayed, you followed, you, 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 you helped set up financially and emotionally everything they need. And they have turned your back and they've withdrawn the grandkids and they said no more access. And it is so unfair. And you are wrestling with that whale. I, I want to take, I know I shouldn't. But I want to take revenge. For me, Beth said after that last job I had that I fell into a depression. She said in that depression, I was almost going to give up on ministry. My wife would say that I had no self-confidence. And, and 
That's probably all true. I just remember I was so angry at so how I'd been hurt so badly. Maybe it's the boss who criticized you, unfairly cut you off. Maybe it's the company that, that didn't keep their word and what was going to be written in stone later that day. They pulled back from an oral agreement. But there's some aspect that you're angry. And the Bible gets so practical in addressing this in such a practical way. In the book of Romans, it says this, Repay no one evil for evil. And I think in general, if we all sat down at lunch, we'd say, is vengeance a good thing? No, no, no. Is vengeance, you know, helped out the society or world history? No, 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 no. And in general, I think we'd say, yes, I think that no one should take revenge. But then we come across that one that's not the no one. Yeah, yeah, I realize that no one should take revenge in general, but that one can't get away with this. Because if I don't hold them accountable, and if I don't keep track of what they owe or don't owe, who's going to? And though we know it's true, we're like, I can't do it. I, I want to do it, but I can't do it. We have a no one, a that one, a whale. And look what he says. He says, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. In other words, as you're meditating or ruminating on that vengeance and on that one thing, you've lost track of the bigger story to ruminate on or meditate on good things toward all men. All men? I don't want to think good things toward all men. All people? That person who hurt me? I don't want to think good things upon them. Now look how practical it is. If it is possible, when it's true, sometimes you want to reconcile with somebody, it takes one to forgive, but it takes two to reconcile, doesn't it? And you can say, I'm going to forgive because I don't want to hold all this bitterness. But you can want to reconcile with a son or daughter or spouse or, or, or co-worker, and they just don't want to do it. And so the Bible's so practical in saying, when it's possible, because sometimes it's not. And as much as it depends on you, do your part to reconcile, but sometimes it's outside of what's possible for you. So painfully practical that you want to be the one who moves toward reconciliation even with that one the Moby Dick, in your life. Try to live peaceably with all men. Why would I do that, though? Sure, okay, nice idea. What motivates me to do that? In the Bible, again, not only tells you what to do, but gives you the engine, the why, the how to do it. So how do we do it? Well, again, I love the practicality of this because I've got a family member who I've alluded to this story several times. My brother and I had been estranged for many, many years. And I felt God was prompting me to try and rebuild that relationship. I thought many of the accusations had come my way, getting cussed out for 30 minutes on the phone 15 years ago was very unjust, and I think I could build a strong objective case that was unjust. But as I began to think about the, the main message of the Bible, so whether you believe in the Bible or not, let me tell you why this is so helpful. The message of the Bible is that when I did the wrong thing, God moved toward me. And when you begin to not just know that, but feel that and experience that, you say, well, if God moved toward me when I did the wrong thing, then I guess I should move toward other people who do the wrong thing. So after many, many years of pursuing my brother, we met up in Hollywood when I was doing a TV show out there, and we reconciled. And I have tried to reconcile with his wife, but I've also had some boundaries in place as to what permits a healthy conversation and he has said, well, I'll work on how that might look. And 10 years later, I'm still waiting for how it might look. Because there's times that even when you want to move towards somebody, you can't because it doesn't depend on you. 
But the engine for me to do that, despite the list of grievances I had, was because of this God of the Bible, what Jesus did, as the account of the Bible is, was so experiential to me that I wanted to do unto others what he'd done to me. And we'll unpack that a little bit more. Let's look at the second character, Captain Ahab. Captain Ahab is this, this sense in all of us that I am uniquely qualified to take revenge here. Sure, sure, in general I shouldn't take revenge, but in this situation, with this whale, with this moment, I am uniquely qualified because he's fooling everybody else. He's going to get away with it otherwise. She otherwise, no one's going to hold her to account. I've got to be the one because I'm the only one who has all the facts. And we certainly see that with Ahab (laughs) in the second reading. Starbuck says, Vengeance on a dumb brute? cried Starbuck. That simply smote thee from blindest instinct. It's madness. To be enraged with a dumb thing, Captain Ahab, seems blasphemous. Hark ye yet again, the little lower layer. All visible objects, man, are but a pasteboard mask. How can the prisoner reach outside except by thrusting through the wall? To me, the white whale is that wall. Shove near to me. Sometimes I think there's naught beyond, but tis enough. He tasks me. He heaps me. I see in him outrageous strength with an inscrutable malice boiling within it. That inscrutable thing is chiefly what I hate. And be the white whale agent or be the white whale principal, I will wreak that hate upon him. Talk not to me of blasphemy, man. I'd strike the sun if it insulted me. He feels uniquely qualified, and probably was, as a captain, as a whaler, as somebody who had a grievance for his leg. And if you listen carefully to your emotions, if you listen carefully to your self-talk, you will hear yourself say the same thing. That you can let go of most things, but not this thing, because you feel uniquely qualified. Here's what it sounds like. But I worked there for 20 years. And I know where the skeletons are. I uniquely need to take revenge. I uniquely, because I worked there for 20 years, need to take revenge because I was, after putting all that effort in, was discarded like trash. I'm uniquely qualified to take revenge because I was married to him or her for seven years. Who else knows what I know? So I'll let go, let everybody else go, but I can't let this one go because I'm uniquely qualified. I'm a lawyer that specializes in this. I've got to take not just legal revenge, but personal revenge. Our our company uniquely is in a marketplace that we can give leverage and punish them for what they did a few years ago. So how can I not give them what they deserve? And here again, the Bible gets so practical. In how do we do this? It says, beloved. And I love how he starts that. He says, let's not forget that God loves you. With all of your warts and all of your rough edges and all of your brokenness, you are still beloved. And let's not forget you've been loved by God before we talk about how we should or shouldn't love your enemy. And again, you see this connection between what God's done to you and what you would do to others. And he says, beloved, beloved, I want to warn you. I don't want you strapped down by these harpoons. You think you're going to take them down. Do not avenge yourself. Do not take matters into your own hands. Rather, and look at that rather. Rather, okay, give me the rather. I want to stop. How do I stop? Rather than avenging yourself, 
give place to wrath. I am giving place to wrath. That's why I'm thinking about throwing a lightning bolt at him. No, what's he saying here? He's saying you're not going to be able to give up revenge until you can give it up to someone you trust. And this is why many people will say, well, you know, I don't believe in a God of the Bible who judges people. And you think you're making God more loving by removing his justice, but you're doing the opposite. Because a just God is angry at injustice. And what happens now is because you don't trust God to judge fairly, you don't have a God who judges at all, you're then forced to be the judge. And you're keeping track of what they owe and don't owe and what they're going to do and what they're going to deserve. And that one counts and this one makes up for it. That doesn't make up for it. The Bible says the only way you can uniquely let go of revenge is you need to give it over and give place for a God who's impartial, a God you can trust, not a God who's ticked off angry with lightning bolts, but God like an impartial good judge. You might do a court of law. Well, righteously in his time, even though it's not your time, lightning bolt, you're going to trust that he knows best. And what he did to you you're going to trust that he would handle it with others. And so when you're facing revenge, you want to give place to wrath, which is a way of saying you're going to give this to God and God is going to bring out the circumstances and the justice to bring that person to where they need to be. And that's why the Bible is so practical here that in order to give up avenging yourself, you've got to have someone to hand the baton to. You can't just give up. You've got to give it up to someone. The Bible says, for it is written, vengeance, justice is mine I will repay, I will confuse, I will allow them to reap what they sow. I remember about two miles from here. I can walk right to it today. I, can, I kayak past it all the time. And I was paused and kayaking back down along Miami. I can tell you where I was that day, I decided to hand it over. The anger I had for my boss. I walked out to the river, little Miami, and I grabbed a rock. And I wrote his name on it. And I said, God, today's the day I'm giving this to you. And I went to throw it. Push. I said, God, I am no longer going to be responsible for paying him what he deserves. I am going to trust you to give him mercy where I don't think he deserves mercy. I'm going to trust that you're going to do what's fair when I may not agree with your definition of fair, but I can't keep living with these anger, vengeance, fantasies, and I want to be free. The harpoon I thought was taking him down these last six months has actually been strapping me down. And that was the day I got free. And God wants you to be free too. I was reading the story of Don Imus as he retired a couple years ago. They asked him, they said, what was your greatest regret? He said, oh. My greatest regret were the comments I made about the Rutgers basketball team. And if you remember, it was all over the news. He made very inappropriate comments, didn't know them, and called them all kinds of names, and it was all over the news for weeks. And in his retirement, he said, what many people may not know is that they agreed to meet with me. As a person who's a shock jock and talked my whole life, I did a lot of listening that day. He said, I sat in that room and I heard the stories of these girls how they won, how they worked, how their coach. And I got done and I apologized. And I said, I am so sorry. I don't deserve your forgiveness. I don't deserve your mercy. But I sure wish you'd give it to me. And if you do, he said, I'll make sure you never regret it. So in his retirement, here are the words he, he said in this article. 
He said, there was nothing I could say other than I'm sorry and promised them that I would never give them a reason in their lifetime to be sorry that they forgave me, and I haven't. And the story here is not, wow, way to go, Don Imus. It's way to go, Rutger team. In a world that's increasingly holding your dirty laundry and putting everything you've ever done wrong, pulling it into a bullet so they can shoot it back at you. And vengeance continues to escalate. Verbal vengeance, faceback vengeance. Anger just continues to pile up everywhere. Will we be the ones who put down the harpoon? Will we be the ones who say, I'm going to give you a chance because God forgave me? Powerful story of stopping the escalating layers of violence. But our third character is those harpoons. <laughs> those harpoons. Those harpoons that you think are going to take somebody else down are actually the ones that are going to strap you down. And this is why we have a choice to make. Either I'm going to be tied down by those harpoons or I'm going to set those harpoons down to somebody who's qualified. And that's why the Bible's so unique in the solution. Because it says you can't not do something. You have to replace it with something. And so you're replacing one bad behavior with, I'm handing this to someone else that I can trust who will take care of this. So every thought, the time the thought came up, and after I threw that rock, it still came up for another month. And every time I said, God, I threw that to you. I threw that harpoon to you. You're in charge now. And the reason vengeance is so problematic for your mind, for your emotions, is because the Bible says that it's ultimately you're putting yourself in the place of God. You may not think, you say, well, I just got anger. No, you're putting yourself in the place of God. And the problem is, I can only speak for myself, I'm not qualified to be put in the place of God. Now, maybe you think you are. But the reason you've got an ulcer and the reason you're burning through your emotions, trying to keep track, is because you're trying to play the role of God. And you will wear out yourself physically and emotionally and spiritually because you're not qualified for the job. And so God is saying, put that thing down so that you don't get strapped down physically with those ulcers, emotionally with, I can't let go of this. Nobody wants to hang out with you anymore because every time I'm at a party, you're a big crab. And I'm going to tell you the time of what happened to me two years ago. Yes, we've heard it 50 times. Please don't tell it again. Yeah. And, and you start the story. And here's how you'll know, by the way. You start your story, and there's like one person you got eye contact with, and three people around. And as you start the story, the other three people are like, drink, drink, need beer, need beer. You know, when, when everybody wanders off when you tell your story, because they can see that you're strapped down. You just don't know it yet. And the most powerful scene, both in the book and in the movies, if you ever see him, is what happens to him at the end of his life, Right? The narrator says, All that most maddens and torments, all that stirs up the lees of things, all truth with malice in it, all the cracks and sinews and cakes the brain, all the subtle demonisms of life and thought, all evil to crazy Ahab, was visibly personified and made practically assailable in Moby Dick. He piled upon the whale's white hump, the sum of all the general rage and hate felt by his whole race from Adam down. And then, as if his chest had been a mortar, he burst his hot heart shell upon it. The harpoon darted. The stricken whale flew forward with igniting velocity. The line ran through the grooves and it ran afoul. Ahab stooped to clear it. But he, and he did clear it. But the flying turn caught him around the neck. And voicelessly, as Turkish mutes bowstring their victim, he was shot out of the boat 
ere the crew knew he was gone, Ahab went down with his ship, which, like Satan, would not sink to hell till she had dragged a living part of heaven along with her and helmeted herself with it. If you've seen the movie version, you'll remember Ahab strapped in cross formation, tied down onto the whale that he had been hunting the entire book. And not only do I not want you strapped down, but the only way to release yourself that I have found is in looking at the ultimate innocent one that was strapped down. See, Jesus saw our tendency to put ourselves in the place of God, which we're like, "Eh, you know, it's not a big thing. But the Bible says that's the biggest thing. The biggest problem in the human heart is pride. And the biggest expression of pride is putting yourself in the place of God. And one example of that is vengeance. And, and God saw us putting ourselves in the place of God, separating ourselves from him. So he, through Jesus, came. And where we were going to get strapped down by our own violence, strapped down by our own uh, need to avenge ourselves, Jesus stood in the gap. He took our place on that whale. He allowed himself to be strapped down, thinking of everything you would feel or think or want to do. And he said, I'll take your place. I will take your place and I will allow God to righteously pour his justice that you deserve some of and someone else deserves some of. I'm going to take it all. I'm going to like the book. I'm going to go down to hell itself, which is death or Sheol. I'm going to allow myself to die and take the full extent of God's righteous, impartial justice so that you can be free. And when you look at that whale, and you don't see just yourself on that whale, but you actually see God taking your place on that whale, you go, oh my goodness, if I, had I continued this path, I would be going down. But he went down for me. If you really meditate on that, think about that. If you come to believe that, if you come to not only believe it, but experience that, that's the engine, that's the release that goes, oh, Well, if he did that for me, then I guess, I guess in light of what he's done for me, I can trust him with the things I don't understand. And I can release to him the things that I'm holding on to, the people and circumstances I'm holding on to. And it also allows you to be honest. Because when I began the study of Moby Dick, I really said to myself, I don't struggle with the vengeance and anger. And that's because I have what the Bible calls self-righteousness. Righteousness comes out of me. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I would never struggle with vengeance. Oh, I've got a few little rough edges I need to work on. Sure, sure. But not vengeance. That's a really bad one. Haven't you said yourself to that? And because of that, because you're, you're propping yourself up like I do to, to look better than you are to yourself and others, you can't admit you have vengeance. I mean, imagine, our guest speaker today, Mr. Chad Hoven, he passes a church in Horizon. He struggles with narrow-mindedness, self-centeredness, vengeance. He's overall a real jerk. Hey, welcome, Chad Hoven. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here today. Vengeance is one of my favorite things, actually. But the grace of God, when you understand he died for you, you can actually start bringing your gack out more. I had a conversation with my wife the other day, and she's been through surgery, and I've just had the last four months, she's been laying on her back, and... We think things are heading in the right direction, but there's been a lot of wear and tear. Normal wear and tear, taking care of my autistic son, mostly by myself the last few months, plus now with her in bedridden, a lot of pressure. 
And I just got really angry one day, just before her surgery. I've been a little nicer since surgery. Uh, before the surgery, <laughs> um, well, I'm like, you know, if you look at everything I'm doing, and you can't even do this, you can't even help with that. And I was reflecting on it later and apologized, and I said, you know, I just realized, if I'm really honest, I want to take revenge. I didn't necessarily want to hurt you, but I wanted to show you. I'm willing to help this much. You're helping me with this. I want to show you what it felt. I want to pay you back for what you're not doing. And I confess that. And actually, it felt both dark to say it, and it felt real. This is true. And the grace of God allows you to bring out what's so broken in you because the Bible says you can be forgiven of past, present, and future wrongdoing, which means when you accept the grace of God, you actually can bring out stuff and you don't get conquered by guilt and shame. You say, ah, another thing he already forgave me for. It allows you to be so self self-aware, so open to hearing bad things about yourself because you're already covered in the grace of God to bring it out. Which is why Romans goes on and says this. He says, therefore, in light of all that, if your enemy is hungry because you are God's enemy, feed him because God fed you. If, if he's thirsty, your enemy, give him a drink because God provided drink and water and provision and talents for you when you are his enemy. And by doing so, by being nice to people who disagree with you, by being nice to people who don't deserve it, you're going to heap coals of fire on their head. And don't, you don't overcome evil with evil, you overcome evil with good. R.C. Sproul has something fascinating. He said in reflecting actually on Moby Dick, that one school of thought of Moby Dick is that Moby Dick represents all that is evil. Another school of thought is that Moby Dick represents God. And Captain Ahab is so angry at God that God would allow injustices to occur. And there are times when I tell you, one of the things I struggle on vengeance is, I'm actually mad at God, but I don't want to be mad at God because I'm a pastor, so I say I'm mad at life. How could God, after all the praying we did, after every night praying, God, help my autistic son talk, help him get potty trained, how could I, after nine years of that prayer, not see many results from it? And so who I'm really mad at, can't be mad at Quinn, he's got autism, I can't really be mad at me, I'm trying, I'm not really mad at Beth, I'm kind of mad at God for not doing his part, so I sort of switched that and deflected, I'm mad at life. And so what I actually have to do is say, God, I actually need to hand you the harpoon that I'm aiming at you. In my conceit, in my arrogance, I think I know better than you. What I need in my life, what needs to happen in my life, the pace it needs to happen in my life. And that's why the greatest takeaway for today for us is that we need to slay the whale within. Slay the whale within you before it eats you. He says, if you're going to learn how to bless your enemy, put heaps of coals on your enemy, what you realize is that what's driving that is you become wise in your own opinion. Another way to say that is you've become conceited. And you get drawn to the adrenaline rush of being angry. You get drawn to the idea that you know better than others, let alone God. You get drawn toward it. And the same thing you're drawn toward, that adrenaline rush of telling your story, is the very thing that will devour and eat you. Several years ago, I went to Alaska at my daughter's graduation. While we were there, we went whale watching. And we heard about a type of whale watching that occurs in only a few parts of the whole country. And it's called bubble netting. And in bubble netting, what occurs is that these whales go deep, deep down into the ocean. And they begin to, like five or six of them, go in a circle. And as they go in the circle, they begin to let the bubbles up. 
from the blowhole. And because they're spinning in a circle, those bubbles form a giant cylinder that captures a bunch of fish above them. And the fish now are enticed by the bubbles. Ooh, the bubbles, 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 bubbles. Look at the pretty bubbles. And those bubbles become a wall for them, and those bubbles draw them to the surface. Let me show you what it looks like as I continue telling the story. As you come up on the water, one of the first things you notice is that the birds of the air begin to circle. They see the fish. They know the fish are in danger. They're about to eat them. The fish don't know. And the bubble of arrogance, the bubble of thinking I know better than God, the bubble of telling that story again, we're drawn toward it. We follow the bubbles. But the same bubbles that we follow are the ones that are entrapping us. And little do we know that those whales, after they've created that bubble net, after they've drawn us to right where they want us, all five whales go back to back from the bottom of the ocean and they open up their mouths and they look straight up at that school of fish, a few getting picked off by the birds, and boom, all five come up at once as they devour the school of fish who the whole time didn't even know they were in danger. And the Bible warns us, the bubbles you think you're following, the bubbles you think that are helping you, they are the very thing. That conceit is the thing that's going to allow you, that whale of vengeance in you is going to eat you alive. Look around you. There is a cylinder of bubbles. There's danger ahead with the, with the, with the birds flying above you. Look at that cylinder. You can see it in the ocean, right? And those whales are going to come up and devour you. And God wants more than anything you to be free. If you're not to be eaten alive, physically through your ulcers or otherwise, God wants you to know that the whale within you, it's not just that person, the whale in you is your desire for vengeance. Let God get you free. What looks majestic and beautiful in nature looks horrific in a heart, in a family, in a company, in a family reunion. I want you free. God wants you free. Maybe today you're thinking, oh my goodness, I've been carrying this harpoon for a long time and I don't want to be strapped down by it. So let me lead you in prayer. Maybe today's a day. Whether you believe in Jesus, you believed him in a long time, or you're like, I need something. <laughs> I would just encourage you to pray like this. Something like, God, I've been putting myself in the place of you. And it's wearing me out. God, I hand you my harpoon. And I want to give this situation, maybe name the person to God. God, I want to give you this person and ask you to be in charge of justice. Forgive me for putting myself in the place of God and thank you for taking my place on that whale and on that cross. 
In Jesus' name, amen. And by the way, uh, someone's car alarm is going off, so you might want to grab that on your way out. Thanks for being here today. We'll continue next week as we have one more week of Plotline. Thanks again. Thanks again.